0: I was just going to sit here and worship a little longer. That's what I was going to do. Oh, yeah, I got to get up front. I'd rather worship. That song just uh, works on me a little bit every time I hear it. It's your breath, God's breath. He gives it to us. What are we doing with it? What are you doing with it? Let's praise the Lord. Let's worship Him. Let's do what we need to do. Uh, Philippians chapter 1. I know the bulletin says something else. That was last week's uh, passage. I'm sure it's uh, it's the computer's fault. I, I won't mention any names. It's the computer's fault. Changed the title and the outline, but they... Left the old scripture in there. Philippians chapter 1, verse 1. Let's stand together. So you can edit your bulletin if you'd like. If it really bothers you, just draw a line through there and put Philippians 1, 1, and 2. And then you'll feel better if you're a detailed person like me. I already edited mine. Paul and Timothy, bond servants of Jesus Christ, to all the saints in Christ Jesus, who are in Philippi with the bishops and deacons. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you, Lord, today, for Paul and his ministry and his words and his writings and the challenges. And uh, thank you today for our congregation who is here to hear from God's Word. Thank you for everyone who came out this morning. So we pray that you'll just uh, stir up our pure minds uh, by way of remembrance so that we can do the things that God is calling us to do and become the person God is calling us to become. And we ask that uh, you'll anoint your Word today in Jesus' name, amen. Maybe may be seated. I've been debating for a while, and I'm taking the plunge. I'm going to try to preach through an entire book. We will see. I, I picked a short one. Uh, I knew it took me 25 sermons to get through the Sermon on the Mount, so that was three chapters. They were long, but anyway, we will see uh, how long it takes us to get through Philippians. We may be here next year. And maybe we'll just uh, not uh, finish it. I don't know. I've just been debating and studying and thinking and trying to just reach the point where I'm jumping in. Now, Paul and Barnabas had completed their first missionary journey, and that was uh, uh, contained in southern Galatia, well, in Galatia, which is actually now called Turkey. And the southern Galatia is kind of where they were at. Uh, Paul was ready now to head out again. But if you recall, he had had uh, taken Barnabas with him the first time, the encourager. And Barnabas had taken along John Mark, and John Mark left them and went back. And so Barnabas wants to give John Mark another chance. Paul does not. So they had a dividing of the ways. And uh, just kind of giving you the background from Acts as we're heading into this, looking at this. So Barnabas went with John Mark and took off. Instead, Paul leaves with Silas, a new companion. And they head out on their second missionary journey, Paul's second. And along the way, they meet Timothy and his mother and grandmother and are really impressed with Timothy and his desire to follow God. So they add him to the team. So there's three of them. And they returned to Galatia and to some of the cities that Paul had preached at and started churches on his first missionary journey. But instead of continuing on, as they were making a a loop, Paul had a desire to continue on there. But God stopped him, put a roadblock in his way. And then he had a vision. A vision from God. Go to Macedonia. And so he took that and entered Macedonia instead. And this would be significant, a a big change, because this move, the missionaries would now be preaching for the first time, taking the gospel to a new continent, and that is to Europe. This is the first time the gospel of Christianity, with missionary Paul and Silas, And Timothy is now going to enter the continent of Europe. So Paul obeyed the leadership of God, aren't we glad? And the trio took a ship, and they arrived in the country of Macedonia, now called Greece, up there in the upper part of Greece. And uh, they're around 50 AD. They arrived in Neapolis on the coast and traveled the 10 miles up to Philippi. And Philippi was on the main route east and west across the empire, uh, Roman Empire, and so that was a very important town. And so there in Philippi, this colony of the Roman Empire, which has significance, and we'll talk about that as we go through the Philippians. So they arrived there and started what I called, uh, in my own words, the first church of the Jesus Christ the Nazarene in Europe, in Macedonia. I don't know what the exact name was. It doesn't really matter. But Nazarene sounds good. There wasn't much of a Jewish presence or synagogue in Philippi. It takes 10 Jewish families to start a synagogue, so there wasn't even 10 Jewish males there. In fact, uh, Philippians never... It's the only writing of Paul where he doesn't quote the Old Testament. And This this epistle he never quotes from the Old Testament. Why? Because there's nobody in Philippians that would be super familiar with it. Because they were not Jewish people. Um, So the missionaries... As they arrived, heard that there's some people that were praying down by the river, so outside of town, so they went down there and met Lydia, and she was a merchant in, in purple cloth, and uh, and they prayed with the group there, and Lydia gets saved, and uh, so they invite them to their house, her house, and they stay there, and they start a church, and uh, in the process, there's this fortune-telling slave girl that runs around, and uh, demon-possessed, and she keeps causing them problems and following them around and making statements about them. So uh, Paul gets a little tired of it, and he tells the demon to come out of her, and so we have her second convert. And uh, she gets saved, and then they throw them in prison because of that. And so Paul and Silas, what do they do? They start singing, and they have an earthquake, and uh, the prisoners are free, and the jailer's about to kill himself, and Paul leads his third convert to Christ that's mentioned. So he starts a church with a, 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 a merchant lady, a, a former slave, fortune teller, and a, a jailer. Quite a combination, wouldn't you say? Uh, we've got those kind of people here, I'm sure. And that's where their, their church began. And then they were, of course, asked to leave town because of the commotion. Paul and Timothy came back through Philippi a couple more times on some more missionary journeys, and uh, they developed quite a relationship with this group of believers. And as you know, later on in life, uh, toward the end, Paul is captured and taken by ship and had experiences there, and the voyage to Rome ends up in Rome, and uh, there he's in house arrest for a couple of years and while he's in rome some of his different waiting for his trial to see what would happen to him uh, some of these different churches would hear about it and philippi was one of the churches that heard and they sent a care package with one of their people and they sent it to him a long journey quite a ways and he brought that care package to paul there as he's in his chains in this house, chained to Roman guards. And so Paul wrote this letter initially in reply and was sending it back with Epaphroditus, I believe his name was, uh, encouraging them and helping them with some of their issues and problems that they had at the Philippian church. Let me remind you that Paul's letters were written to be read... Before a congregation. They're not personal letters. One was a personal letter, Philemon. But most of them are letters to churches to be read before congregations. And so this would have been written to all of his friends at the church in Philippi. There was no chapter and verse divisions. It was one complete letter. uh, Read at one setting to this congregation, almost like a sermon, and uh, maybe they reread it a, a few more times in weeks ahead. But today I want to look at the greeting to Paul's letter. And I started this study and, and uh, there were specific things that God laid on my heart to share with you out of the greeting. There's other things that, uh, that I'm just going to pass over with a couple of comments. But um, one is grace and peace. Grace and peace is one of those things that are unique to Paul. It's his unique spiritual greeting found in the introduction to all of his letters. Letters follow a format. Introduce yourself, so Paul and Timothy in this case, and you introduce uh, those that you're writing to, to the the people at uh, Philippi, and then you have a greeting. And Paul's greeting is Unique in that he writes it in all of his letters, grace and peace. So I don't want to spend, that's a a whole sermon series just on grace. Those of you who are familiar with the walk to Emmaus, you'll hear five talks on grace alone while you're there. So it is just a multitude of things can be said about grace. Peace is another interesting word. So Paul, I don't know if you know this, made this unique greeting. He took the common Greek word for greeting each other and changed it to grace, and then he took the common Jewish word for greeting each other, which was Siloam, and he put it together, grace and peace, and he started all of his epistles with grace and peace. Sometimes he'd throw in mercy and a few other things, but grace and peace were always there. A special Christian greeting full of much theological meaning. This letter, as I mentioned, was addressed to the saints, and, but Paul also mentioned the bishops and the deacons. That was unique to this letter. Um, leadership and the introduction was not usually mentioned at all, and some people wonder why it was here, and there's a lot of discussion on that. I just, I don't think any of that really matters a whole lot. I think he is, what he is saying is, I love all of you guys, plus I like your church board too, <laughs> I mean, you know, so, uh, you know, I'm just greeting all of you, plus the lay leaders, basically, those that were in those positions of leadership in that local body of believers. And I don't want to put a whole lot more emphasis on it than that. Uh, Now, I know this letter is addressed to the Philippians, which is a particular church in a particular location in a town in a historical setting Around the time that Paul was to be killed, uh, or at least was leased on trial in Rome, and so it's a few years after the church had been started. I know that that is the background for this, and we will certainly be alluding to that. Acts chapter sixteen talks about his first trip to Philippi, but I also know that Philippians is part of Holy Scripture. And I believe that the Bible is limited to 66 books. There were others. And the reason that this and other passages and, and books were included in here is because God, through his process of helping these people compile the holy word of God, laid it on their hearts that certain things need to be included And so if it's included into the Bible as Holy Scripture, then I believe it not only speaks to a particular historic situation, but I also believe that the principles apply to our lives today. And there is truths from God's Word, this Word, that should speak directly to us. There are two words that I want to focus on in the greeting here. And I worked on both of them. And then when I started putting it all on the computer, and the Thursday morning I was finishing up on this first section on the word slaves, <laughs> and is was about to start on the word saints, and I just felt like, you know what, you've probably got enough here already for one sermon. And I just want to tell you, Debbie is so happy, because <laughs> she's been telling me, you say so much, but you give them too much. So I cut this one off, so if we get out 15 minutes earlier than usual today, it's, that's part of the problem, because if I'd have gone the second point, we'd have been another half an hour, or 45 minutes, or whatever, because I think it's a whole sermon in itself, so I'm just letting you know. There's two words I wanted to preach about, I've narrowed it down to one. So the second word is going to have to wait until next week. So what I want to point out is, Christians are slaves of Christ Jesus. Slaves of Christ Jesus. Paul and Timothy, bondservants of Jesus Christ. Your translation probably has servants. But the word actually is doulos in the Greek, which means slaves. Now, Paul in his letters to all these churches always identified himself differently than this. He always called himself Paul and a... Apostle, always, not on his personal letters necessarily, but to his letters to the churches, Paul an apostle. Well, he's coming with the authority of Jesus Christ. He He's coming with the, the backing of the church. And what I'm saying to you, you need to listen to. What I'm writing to you, you need to take seriously. Here, it's very unusual for Paul to identify himself and Timothy As slaves. Most English translations, as I said, says servants. New King James tried to get closer to the meaning by using bond slaves, or bond servants, which is a servant who has bonded himself to his master. But the literal meaning of the Greek word Paul chose is slaves, and he uses it in some of his other writings as well. So we want to look at this. No doubt, Paul purposefully chose slaves, as a word to emphasize the working together aspect of Christianity because one of the themes of the book of Philippians is partnership. The partnership of the gospel, you're supporting me and I'm helping you and together we're working on on creating a partnership of the gospel like we do in in a denomination, supporting missionaries, supporting um, each other, supporting uh, the district and them supporting us, type of partnership uh, the colleges, all, all that goes into um, making a partnership working. And that's one of his themes. And by identifying himself as a worker, a slave, instead of as an apostle with authority, he's placing himself from the opening introduction as a Christian worker with them, partnering with them for the cause of Christ. Also, Paul here is writing to Gentile believers. As I stated earlier, there's not... Very many, if any, Jews in this town. Mostly Romans, mostly Greeks, uh, a lot of natives in that area, plus the Roman colony that had been established in this town. So readers of, that connected to the Jewish mindset would have, would have thought of servants in a different way than we would think of slaves And so that's why I don't like the word servants here. But in the Old Testament, we referred to some of the people as uh, David. He was a real servant of God. Or Moses is a real servant of God. That has a different connotation than slave. They were men of God who were set aside, did particular work. God used them. And they were obedient to God's will. They had a special relationship. But Paul's Gentile readers in Philippi would identify better with the concept of slaves since it was so prevalent in their culture. We have a problem with the concept of slaves. But slavery was not a derogatory term so much in their day, and we'll get into that in a little bit. Uh, Slavery in the Greco-Roman culture was as common in Paul's day as cell phones are common in our day. It was everywhere. Everybody had slaves Everybody uh, knew a slave if they didn't have any, Um, and everybody in society was served by slaves because you couldn't go to a store without slaves helping you. You couldn't go to a house without slaves helping you. You couldn't do anything, hardly in society, without there being slaves. People that were bought and sold and were in, uh, in debt and in bondage to someone else, and they were masters and they told them what to do. It was a part of everyday life everyone knew about it it was almost impossible to try to not participate in it and uh, they did all the menial tasks in businesses and homes slavery was not totally derogatory word that uh, we have today Some slaves held high positions of high responsibility in the household. You could work your way up as a slave. And I, I think my illustration that came to my mind, although this is way back in the Old Testament, was Joseph. When he was sold into slavery at Potiphar's house, worked his way up to become the number one person in the house. And he had access to all the finances and the running of the household. Potiphar trusted him with everything and then the wife got involved and that's where the whole story went south for Joseph but i just think of that as slaves can be pretty high up as far as responsibility and trust etc but one thing remained the same regardless of how important you are or your ability or your responsibility that you may have every slave belonged to someone else you belonged you were owned by them. So the word slave still communicated the ideas of ownership and humility and submission. Still carried that, even though some of these guys advanced and became not so much derogatory, but actually had slaves working under them, um, doing the work of the household or the, or the community or the business. Now it is important to point out that most of the time in the New Testament the word slaves referred to those who were still trapped in the chains of sin. And we even use that language today. Non-Christians who continue their downward choices become so controlled by sin and Satan that they no longer can determine their direction in life. They were slaves to sin and unrighteousness. And Paul uses that analogy a lot. And here we are today, we still use that. We've got songs that talk about it. We have um, scriptures, obviously, and, and sermons that talk about being bound by chains of sin. And everyone in this room knows a little bit about what that is. You start down doing certain things, and then you have to keep doing them, or, and they just keep piling on. The lies, the cheating, the stealing, the addictions, the sin is an addictive disease. And the longer you're there, the heavier the chains, the deeper the darkness the harder it is to break free. In fact, no one can break free on their own. When it comes to sin, it takes the power of Jesus Christ to break you free. I think of the song, And Can It Be? And he talks about that he was in the dungeon and the prisons and chains, and then he awoke with a ray of light. A chains fell off. My heart was free. Different songs that talk about that. And so we, we have that theological setting here about slavery to sin. But Jesus came to break the shackles of sin and to set us free. And the New Testament talks about freedom and redemption and salvation through Christ Jesus. That's the way it used to be. But now you're this way. And Paul writes that a lot. When Christ saves us, he makes us his possession. We are part of his family. We're adopted into the family of God. We are changed, and we start a new life. He gives us purpose. He gives us goals. He gives us directions that determine the course of our trajectory now through life. We are old, but things are passed away. All things passed, are now new. We have broken from the chains of sin, and now we are alive to serve God, free, Whole song, glorious freedom, wonderful freedom. No more in chains of sin I repine. Repine. It's another one of those words. (laughs) Jesus, the glorious emancipator, now and forever he should be mine. We got a thing on Wednesday night where I pick out songs and I say, where did they come up with that word? Repine. That's like uh, planting trees in a forest. Well, repine the forest. Plant pine trees. I don't know. Anyway. Sorry, but me and Sam have this thing going. Uh, so here's this thing. Slaves, freedom. He doesn't stop there, Paul and his theology. Because the Christian still has freedom to choose whether or not to submit to the will of God or they can choose to go back into sin. The Christian also can choose not to go deeper into the life God has purposed for him or her, following that jumping off thing, which my wife makes fun of me for. In fact, she wants us to sing a song where all the praise team goes. <laughs> so maybe may be coming down the pike. I don't think Barb will do it. She's, she's nice. She, she won't make fun of me like that. But some of the others, yeah, no problem. But, but so this, this jumping all in, and a Christian can choose whether or not they're going to get all in or not, whether they're going to get in the deeper life with Christ or not. And, and, he, and how long a person can live as a Christian without that deeper commitment to holiness is a question only God can answer. But the New Testament scriptures warn again and again about slipping and sliding back into sin because you don't go to the second level, you don't have a real commitment, you're not jumping all in with this thing of Jesus Christ. There's a concern there. At what point in time does not obeying the Holy Spirit and going deeper lead you actually into saying no to him, which is a sin? There's a fine line there. So, Paul is stating from the outset of this letter that he and Timothy, he says it for Timothy, have made a commitment to be a slave, a slave commitment to Christ Jesus. Ultimately, a Christian will only remain in real fellowship and relationship with Christ, doing God's will and bringing glory to God, as he or she makes the ultimate, unconditional commitment of surrender to God, like a slave to a master. And it's seen in so many ways. Simple things like tithe, that tells God you're all in with your money. Simple things like attendance, worship, that tells God you're in for the whole week. The whole week is yours, Lord. I'm giving you the first day. Simple things like not taking the name of the Lord in vain because, and on and on it goes. Just all these different things that we do to set ourselves apart and say, I'm all in. I'm not going to misuse. I'm not going to abuse. I'm going I'm to do this. I'm, it's not just I'm stopping sin, but I'm starting the, deep, the deeper walk with Christ. Amen ultimate, unconditional commitment and surrender to God like a slave has to surrender to a master. It's a little different than slavery as we understand it. This is a choice. The slavery to sin is not a choice. You're already there and the Satan's going to keep you there and put the chains on. You choose to get out by calling on Jesus to set you free. But slavery to God is a choice. Lord, I love you so much that I want to go deeper. And I want to grow bigger and higher in the things of God. I just want everything that you have for me. And I surrender completely to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Amen. So holiness is is a conscious subordination of oneself to the will of God. It is an attitude of service and slavery out of love. It is freely choosing to be God's possession. Whatever you want, I will do. It is total integration into the body of Christ. Christian slavery is about holiness, and I hate to almost use the two words together, but Paul does, to give us an idea that there is a level to go to that is not normal for people, and that is to surrender to this Lord and Master, Jesus Christ. Kind of reminds me about the boy who went to Disneyland over the weekend and took a, maybe a Friday off or whatever Thursday. And so when he got back, you know, the teachers, what did you do, you know, and, and so on. So the boy, said, well, he had his Mickey Mouse ears on and his hat. And he was talking about, oh, how great. We went all the way, and we had a good time. So she said, just well, get up in front and tell the class about it. What, what happened? He said, well, we drove a long ways. We got to this big parking lot. It must have held about a million cars, and then we had to get on this tram, and then we take the tram over to the entranceway, and there we had to buy tickets, and, and then I got this real cool hat, and then My family, they went to go on in, and I said, no, I want to ride the tram a little more. So I got on the tram, and they went all the way around all these parking lots where millions and millions of cars were parked in each lot. And he said, and I was just so cool, I just rode the tram all day. But I had this cool hat. And the teacher goes, but you didn't go inside? You didn't ride the? No. But the tram was so cool. And I had this hat. He'd been to Disney World, but he never went to Disney World. And how many Christians have been to church, and have been to Christ, and they've been to the cross, and they've had their sins forgiven, but they've never been in? They haven't jumped into a real relationship they haven't gone deep into all the things that God has for them. They don't know about the rides. They don't know about this. They don't know about that. They never experience it. They just barely get in, and then they settle down and they say, Oh, I've been to Christ. I've been to church. And I got this real cool hat that says, Whatever it says, make Christian great again. Whatever. And we're cross. I believe in Jesus. How can we be content with circling around the deeper Christian experience, but God has so much more for us to experience if we only would enter into a life of total commitment? If you don't like the word slavery, use the word commitment. So I've been sharing a little New Testament theology, but there's a description in the Old Testament that illustrates the kind of slave that Paul is talking about here in Exodus 21. See, slavery's been a thing that's been going on for years. It was way back there in the Old Testament. Exodus talks about it. Because when people would get in debt to each other, even in the Jewish society, you would work it off by becoming a slave. Everybody had property, everybody had abilities, and so on. Sometimes slavery meant your whole family had to work for someone else. But the Jewish law put a stipulation on it. You could work for six years, but on the seventh year, you were set free. Whether the debt was paid or not. So after seven years, it was freedom. And freedom meant you didn't even have to pay back anything else you owed. It was the slate clean, brother, and get out and start all over, fresh start. If you had a wife and kids, they were free with you. So the whole group would be set free after six years max, whether the debt was paid off. It could have been a two-year debt and you paid it off, whatever the case may be. But you were free. So they put those stipulations in there because they didn't want people to be slaves for life to someone else who would use and abuse them. But there's an interesting verse there in Exodus 21, verse 6. It talks about the fact that sometimes... That slave enjoyed working as that indentured servant type of a thing to to this master, and this master would treat him with a lot of respect because he's a Jewish friend from the same town, and he would treat him so well that when time came for the seventh year when he would be set free, he would say, you know what? I would rather stay with you than go back and try to work my own way through I get taken care of here, I get my three square meals, I get a place to sleep, I get everything covered for me, why would I go back to trying to work out and start all over again from scratch? And so if he really felt that way, the owner would take him to the judges of the town and they would agree, and you hear his testimony, yeah, I want to stay with this guy for life. And then he would come in and they would bring him over to the doorpost of the house and they put his ear up against there. And he would, the master would take an awl and poke it through his ear, rip a hole. And what are you all going ooh for? You all poke stuff in your ears all the time. So that what they do. And when they would do that, now he was marked for life. See, you thought this was a real cool thing to have a big old hole in your ear. That's been going on since way back there, except it had a different meaning. So you can imagine now, he's, he's working there on the place for his master, and the other slaves who may have got in debt somehow, because usually the rich guys loan you money, and sometimes you couldn't pay it off, so you had to work it off. And so he, other guys would be going around saying, well, we're counting the days until our six years are up, and we can get out of here. I got... Four years and 35 days to go or whatever it was. And so they would they'd be counting it down. And then they look at this guy. He's just bouncing on by. Why you got that hole in your ear? Everybody else is grumping and griping about how many days they have left. And he says, well, I've been here 34 years. woo And I'm loving it. What? You see this hole in my ear? That means I don't have to be here. I'm here by choice because I love the master and I wanted to serve him and I wanted to stay here. In fact, I'm going to be here forever. That's what it says. I kind of like that. He could serve his master out of love. And what a picture of the surrendered life. Can you imagine people asking you, hey, Sheila, why do you have a hole in your ear? Jeb, why do you have a hole in your ear? Amber, do you have a hole in your ear? Why do you have a hole in your ear? And so they go around today because there is something obviously different about you. And I'm not talking about a hole in your ear. I'm talking about the life of Christ. And they're looking at you and saying, why do you act the way you do? Why do you care about Jesus so much? Why do you want to go to church so much? Why do you put your tithe in the offering? Why do you give your ministries? Why do you slave all the time? Every time I call you, you can't come because you got to go to church. Why do you have a hole in your ear? Why do you act different than everybody else here at work? Why are you committed to a life of serving Christ? And your reply will be, I live this way because I love Jesus. You see, I used to be a slave to sin. You see, I used to have these bad habits. You see, I used to do this and this and this. But one day, Jesus Christ entered my life, and I bowed to the cross, and I asked him to forgive me of my sins, and change me. Please change me. And God came in and did a work in my life. But guess what? I didn't stop there. I decided I wanted all that God had for me. I wanted to go deeper. I wanted him to know I was in for life. I wasn't in for two months or two weeks. I was in for my life. And I was given 100% to the cause of Jesus until I die and forever. Wow. I've lived this way because I choose to love Jesus. I am his slave. Now they won't understand slave but say I am committed. I am committed. Don't you love that? I love the concept. God made me free to do as I want, so I chose to give my life totally over to the will and work of God because I love Jesus. I am God's property. I am his physically, mentally, and spiritually. I'm committed to doing whatever he asks me to do every day of my life for the rest of my life and into eternity. Wow, forever, God, forever. Now you begin to see why it was so important that Paul addressed them as saying, I and Timothy are slaves to Jesus Christ. Slaves. And so we translate it servants because nobody understands what slaves means anymore. But they were bound to serve their master. They had committed their lives to serving Jesus. They were submitted to his will. They would do whatever he if he says don't continue on over there at the Troas, come over to Macedonia. He says we're going to go to Macedonia. If he says don't don't stop there, go somewhere else, he said we're going. And they did it. They warned him, don't go to Jerusalem, you get arrested. I'm going to Jerusalem. Why? Because that's the way Jesus was. He was going to Jerusalem and the disciples were following him. Why? Because he knew what was ahead and he was committed to follow the plan of God. And if it took his life, he was going to give it. All in. All in. Why was Paul all in? Because Jesus was all in. In fact, you get to Philippians chapter 2, and this great hymn of the church that you've heard so many times talks directly about how Jesus went all in. He used to be up here with God, equal with God, but he made himself no reputation and took on the form of a doulos, slave. We have it again, translated servant, but it is slave. Jesus took on the form of a slave. He obeyed his master, and he didn't care if it cost him his life, and he emptied himself and became obedient to the death of the cross. Why? He was a slave. So Paul says, if Christ is a slave, then why can't I be the slave? Why can't I give my life the same way Jesus gave his life? So these missionaries have taken on the attitude of Christ that they will willingly take the humility route and give themselves in service to the Christ who humbled himself and died for their salvation. Well, why not humble myself and go these places and do these strange things and go get whipped and get... Uh, um, stoned sometimes and and get shipwrecked and, and, and all those things that occurred to them. It didn't matter. They were slaves to Christ and they would go and they would do because he went and he did. Jesus was whipped. He was bruised for our sins. Chastised, Isaiah said. And with his stripes... We are healed. All oh, we like sheep have gone astray. Turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord laid on him the sin of us all. He's led like a lamb to the slaughter. As the sheep before it shears his dumb, so he opens not his mouth. On and on and on it goes. It keeps telling us that Jesus did it. Paul says, I'm doing it. What about you? What about you? What are you going to do? Can it be different for us today? Well, I'm a follower of Christ, but we've been talking about that. Jesus says, the ox says, you know, the fox Everybody else has a place to lay their head, but Son of Man doesn't. Well, I'm going to have to go back and bury my father and live with him for the next 20, 30 years, and finally I'll bury him. No, you come and follow me. We've been talking about this. All of our excuses for why we want to be a Christian, but we don't want to be a slave to Christ. Why we want the terminology, why we want the good stuff, but we won't go all the way in and get the great stuff. Why we want to be saved, but why don't we want to be sanctified? Jesus suffered outside the gate that he might sanctify the people. The cross is not just for our salvation, it's for our holiness, it's for our sanctification. It's so that we can go all in. So we can do something about the divided heart that wants my own way instead of God's way all the time. We need to surrender. So let me ask you something. Are you on the tram? Are you tired of circling around the deeper relationship with God, looking at other Christians who plunge in, looking at others who give their heart and life and their very being to the cause of Christ, and and you just keep circling around? Well, I'm just not as committed. Those are super saints, and I'm just an ordinary saint. See, when God begins to lay his finger on things in your life, and you're not willing to surrender them to him, eventually you start backing up on light, and I am concerned. I am concerned. Some of my precious people here, are not walking in all the light they're not willing to commit to the deeper relationship with Christ where is the hole in your ear have you placed your ear against the doorpost spiritually and allow god to say okay You've chosen to give yourself to me, and I'm going to put my mark on you, the mark of the committed life. Many of you have already backed up to that doorpost and received the mark of love and surrender. Some of you are so close to that level of commitment. You're almost there. You're right there. Oh, God is talking to me about that. But I want to tell you, just do it. Just go all in. You won't regret it. Just get surrendered and give it all to God. Let him have complete control. Don't hold back a thing because God will transform you from the inside out and make you something that you never thought you could be. And that is, you can pick them out of Scripture, any of those committed people's names. You can pick them out of life because some of them attended here. I just don't know what people will do without Jesus. We know who's committed. When they're going through their own suffering, all they are is concerned about others. Committed. Praying to the end for the lost and their families and loved ones around them. Committed. Giving their lives for the church spending untold hours there's a plaque over in that other building of people who spent over 100 hours working on that building today you can't find people for 5 minutes to work and then they wonder why and it's a different world today i understand but we have committed ourselves to other things Instead of 100% commitment to God. And God's beginning to lay his finger on some of those issues. What's more important? Do you love me more than these? Do you love me more than this? Teenagers, you especially, you're at a perfect point in your life to jump all in. Young adults, same way. Because the older you get, the more set you get in your ways, and it's harder and harder to break the habits of life. So you need to get in and start the habit now of serving God with everything that you have. I don't want you to grow up to be a bitter, sour faced bump on a log. This church needs leaders. This church needs men and women who are going to say, I'm in for Christ 100%. Jesus, you can count on me. I'm not going to be around forever. There'll be somebody else here someday, and they're going to need a level of leadership of committed disciples of Jesus Christ that can carry this church forward. Start in as a teenager. Get all in, folks. Don't worry about what the old folks are doing. Get in. Jump in. Give your life ride the altar, whatever it takes to make sure that everything you have is given to God. And I tell you, he'll pick out the right woman or guy for you. He'll pick out the right job for you. He'll show you what you need to do the rest of your life. He will lead you step by step. He will guide you every step of the way. He will show you how you can do it. You may be poor. It don't matter. Jesus is with you. You may be rich. It doesn't matter. Jesus is with you. And he will make your marriage thrive, and he will make your home a home of love. He will be the difference factor. And everybody in your community who's gone through three or four different relationships are gonna wonder why on earth you're still committed because you got Jesus in your house. And why you don't cheat at school because you got Jesus in your life. And why you got that hole in your ear? Because you gave your heart and life to Jesus and you jumped all in and you didn't care what splash it made. That's what Paul's talking about. That's what he's challenging us to. John Wesley prayed this prayer, of self-surrender. Every so often, I reread it. Of course, it's in his language in the 1800s. Lord Jesus, I give you my body, my soul, my substance, my fame, my friends, my liberty, and my life. Dispose of me and all that is mine as it seems best to you. I am now not mine, but yours. Therefore, claim me as your right, keep me as your charge, and love me as your child. Fight for me when I am assaulted. Heal me when I am wounded. And revive me when I am destroyed. (laughs) You see, it's not all going to be good. You're going to be wounded. You may even be destroyed. But God's going to still love you. And God's still going to be there for you. And God's going to pick you up again. He has done it for me countless times. And I know living the non-committed life is like, But when I recommitted my life and got back in 100%, this passion came because I don't want to go back. I don't want to go back. I don't want to be on the edge. I want to be all in. Don't you want to be all in? Pray a prayer of surrender to the Lord today. As our praise team comes, and as we continue with our service, it's family altar time. We come and pray about anything, everything, whatever it is on your heart and life. But if you're not all in today, come and pray. Teens, you can lead the way. (laughs) And show us. And show the devil and show the world whose side you're on. I am going in 100% to follow Jesus. 100%. I'm giving myself to him. Let's stand together. Come and pray. That's what we're talking about today. We're talking about receiving God's love. This isn't about pressure. It's about him loving us so much that we love him back. (laughs) Lord, we pray to you today. A prayer of commitment, a prayer of surrender, a prayer of yielding, a prayer of giving. Lord, you gave everything. Why would we stop and give only partly back? Lord, we're going to give 100% to you because you gave 100 and 100, 100 and 100% to us. Over and over and over you've given and given and given. Lord, why would we stop at giving our 10%? Why would we stop at giving 5, 5% of our week? Why don't we give everything in our life to you? Lord, from the opening of the day, the sunrise that you provide for us, and the starting prayer of the day, Lord, I give myself to you today. Go with me. Be with me, Lord. This is your day. I'm going to rejoice and be glad in it all the way to the closing prayer at night. Lord, thank you for a day when you went with me. You were part of my life. And Lord, together we were able to do some things for Christ today. Lord, there's people here that are praying to go deeper. Help us to go deeper, Lord. We're praying to go deeper. (laughs) We're asking you, Lord, to take us deeper. We're asking you, Lord, to help us to surrender everything. Quit controlling it in our own lives. Allow Jesus to take control. Lord, you can revolutionize our relationships. You can revolutionize our houses. You can revolutionize our families and our homes and our finances and our work environment and the reasons why we do the things we do and planning and and what do we do in retirement years. Lord, you can revolutionize every aspect of our physical, mental, spiritual lives. And we limit you to two hours on Sunday or whatever else we've limited you to. And Lord, you would just want to be in control of it all, for you are the master, you are the Creator, you are the sovereign Lord, you are Lord, the protector, you are guide, you're our great I am, you're the Alpha, and the, you're the beginning and the end, Lord. You're everything. Why would we try to control what all we have to do is surrender? Because then God, you can do what we cannot do. But you only can do it through the things that we give to you. So the more we hold on to, the less you have control of. Lord, so we surrender our grudges and our hurts. (laughs) We surrender our problems, our circumstances. We surrender the people who have hurt us. We surrender the the financial issues, the problems. We surrender, Lord, your call on our heart and life. We surrender, Lord, the ministries. (laughs) We surrender our relationships. I remember when I surrendered my redheaded girlfriend to you, Lord. (laughs) We surrender everything. I surrendered my car to you. And then I had to surrender a house to you. I have to surrender my girls to you, each one by one. We surrender everything to the leadership and lordship of Christ. It's not mine, it's yours, Lord. I give it all to you. It doesn't belong to me. Never had, never will. I just think it does. But it doesn't belong to me. Because any moment it can be taken from me. I have no control over anything, Lord. So I give you control. It seems to be the logical thing to do. But right now, the devil is whispering stuff in everybody's ears, but Lord, help him not to listen. It's all about Jesus and his love, his tenderness, his compassion, his care. I wouldn't want to surrender to anybody else except a master like that works all things to our good. In the long haul, it all works to our good. Take our prayers today, Lord. See our desire. Put your mark on our lives and help us to live the deeper walk with you. Thank you, Lord. Be with those that are dealing with funerals. Be with those, Lord, that are dealing with physical issues from our church family. Deal with those that are having some tough times right now. Deal with those that are very, very tired. Encourage them. Deal with that one that's struggling with school since school started. Deal with that one that's having that relationship. Let's surrender to the Lord. Lord, we just want to thank you because you've heard our prayers today. People have tapped into the resources of God. They have felt your presence. They have released into your hands and your care. And so, Lord, take it, heal us, and we love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's worship together. Let's worship.